This is the Pain Information Network. More on addiction. Well, by request, and I mean a really tough subject, but a great subject to talk about, is addiction. And today we're going to talk about buprenorphine. What is buprenorphine? Well, you may have heard of Subutex or Suboxone. Those are two names of that drug, and those are trade names. Well, we use these drugs to great benefit for those that have found themselves somewhat hooked on drugs. Now, we've been through the definitions of tolerance, dependency, and um, the uh, importance of understanding that that isn't addiction. But we've also talked and briefly gone through the definitions on addiction. It's good to refresh yourself on those. The point being this, it's my belief that after two prescriptions, just two prescriptions, an individual is vulnerable to become dependent. That's not necessarily addiction, but can lead to addiction. So we have to think of treating these people because it is not a moral failing. It is a medical problem, and we want to treat the medical problem because that's compassionate care. So I'm going to break the buprenorphines up into uh, two separate podcasts because it's a big subject. It's called Medically Assisted Treatment, or MAT. And today I'm going to start with the basics on buprenorphines. All right, remember what WATME is. I have a podcast on WATME. Go visit me there. And, hey, give me a, give me a review. I need some reviews on that one. Uh, WATME means the world according to me. In other words, you can believe anything you choose if you choose to ignore the facts. The fact of the matter is buprenorphines and Suboxone or Subutex, however you want to call these drugs, there's other Subsolve, there's other uh, trade name drugs there. Base dr- drug is a buprenorphine. And whatever you want to call them, don't call them bad drugs. These are good drugs, and they're lifesavers. They change people's lives. They improve everything in their lives when they've hit that wall of either cravings, addictions, or opioid dependency. A buprenorphine, yeah, it's an opioid, but it's not mixing one out for the other. What a buprenorphine is, is a drug that sits very tightly on a mu opioid receptor. That's the part of activation in the central nervous system for opioids. And it goes and goes and flattens out. So it isn't a pure mu opioid agonist. In other words, it doesn't purely stimulate that receptor. But what it does is partially stimulate it to a point, and the curve kind of flattens out, and they really don't get a lot more benefit. But guess what? I got here first. I'm not giving my seat up. And so folks can even be doing, in, in extreme examples, heroin or pills, and that buprenorphine is sitting there. It's not giving up. It's going to be sitting there, and that's potentially life uh, life-saving. All right, so let's get into this. Buprenorphine is used in medication-assisted treatment. It helps people reduce or quit their use of heroin or other opioids. Uh, You know, pain relievers, even like morphine, by the second prescription, you might be starting to feel you need it. You don't necessarily need to go on a buprenorphine then. But I'm just saying there are certain patient populations, certain people that just feel right on opioids. They get that first oxycodone, and they say, I feel normal. 
And it probably has something to do with the reward system, and, and a lot of the uh, receptor technology is going to uh, probably bear that out, the dopamine receptor 2, 3. And there is going to hopefully lie a real therapeutic option in the future for us. But we don't have that now. But buprenorphine represents the latest advance in medication-assisted treatment. You may have heard of another drug, um, the one I say never has a sense of humor, that being methadone. That's another drug used at methadone clinics. Now, methadone clinics are heavily, heavily regulated. They often require the folks to come in every day. They slap down the cash. It's intrusive. It's difficult to do, too expensive for some, and they go back to the cheap heroin. Once again, life-threatening. Now, these methadone clinics, they really work for some. They really do help. But once again, you know, you, you have to kind of not look now, but three, six, nine, and 12 months. Where are you going to be? What's your benchmarks? So let's think of something that might be a little more reasonable, a little easier to deal with, something maybe we can use for, well, some people indefinitely. Buprenorphine was approved for clinical use in October 2002 by the FDA. The buprenorphine maintenance program it, it was important because it, it really helped people understand they can be helped because the helplessness of addiction when it grips you you feel like you have nowhere to go and you have fallen flat and you've fallen far not so true you don't have uh, a life-threatening disease state like cancer that is untreatable you have something very treatable you don't have end-stage heart disease where you have to have a transplant and your life expectancy is cut short. Maybe we've just increased your life expectancy because we've introduced a safe and effective drug to treat you. So this is what you do. If you're on um, a drug you want to get off, you go to a directory, and they're on the Internet, and you can find local doctors that have taken special training that can prescribe this drug. You have to have an X, this is technical, but you have to have an X waiver on your DEA certificate. So you, you can't get this drug from just anybody. But wait, my doctor treats me with this drug for pain. Yes, this drug goes back quite a ways. And I was using it uh, postoperatively uh, as an anesthesiologist. I was using this drug in many different ways, and we use it in the pain clinic. We use it in a patch form, and then we have a new uh, uh, buckle or almost sublingual intraoral administration. And we can use it for pain, but we're using it for a different reason. It's a completely different reason, and therefore that X waiver is necessary. And it's not much training. It's like 8 to 11 hours. You don't need much training. You just need to know about the drug. And it can go across uh, many specialties, including all the way from family general practice to specialty addiction practice. So you don't have to have addiction credentials. With the new caveat that to get the higher limit of patients you can treat, you have to have some credentials. All right, there's another side to this. Behavioral counseling and behavioral therapies are absolutely necessary to turning the corner. We talked about this wheel, the uh, the pre-contemplative, 
contemplated action stage. We talk about this wheel, and I'm not going to belabor that. It's not really a part of this discussion. But when somebody gets to the point and they realize, yeah, I need help, they have to have help because they've got a little voice sitting on their shoulder that does something like triggers them. And with cocaine, you can have a cocaine trigger <laughs> that you just have to see for like one thirty thousandths of a second and your brain just lights up. It wants that drug. It's craving. Now, with opioid craving, it's not quite as dramatic. But in combination with counseling and behavioral therapies, this whole patient approach to the treatment of opioid dependency, when an individual agrees to take this drug as prescribed, it's very safe and very effective. Think ceiling effect. So buprenorphine is the first medication to treat opioid dependency that is pres- it's permitted to be prescribed, and we can dispense it in our office. We, it takes a, a little more, um, I guess, uh, robust paperwork and monitoring to dispense it in the office. But often you can work with a pharmacy where, let's just say, the doctor doesn't want to give you a month's prescription but you can't afford an every week copay or an every other day copay because he doesn't want to give you or she doesn't want to give you a lot of these uh, pills or strips uh, and you're kind of in a corner. Well, let me tell you something. You can work out with your pharmacy and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Medical Village. Um, that's a pharmacy I work with around here. They're extremely helpful, understanding the need for this drug and start beating down the barriers to access. What they did is they came up with the program where they'll take the copay and fill the drug for the month, but they'll dispense only X amount at a time. It's sitting there with the patient's name on it, but they need to come in either for daily dose or every week dosing or whatever, and they will dispense that amount for the prescribed dosing, and they work very closely with this. It's the closest I've worked with the pharmacy, and I appreciate the pharmacist's efforts. This is very important. It's a thorough commitment to patient care. They should be commended. So ask your provider to work with a local pharmacy. They usually have to be um, I, I don't know for sure, but they usually are probably not going to be affiliated with the national chain. But maybe not. So just talk locally. Okay. So this drug, as I mentioned, significantly increases treatment access. So the Drug Treatment Act of 2000 takes these qualified physicians, the ones that have gotten the special training, and they say you define, by definition, opioid dependency. And it can be, it can be in various settings. So nurse practitioners and PAs at the time of this podcast can not use this drug for opioid dependency. They can use it for pain, but it's a physician. And it's office-based. It can be in the community hospital. It can be in a health department or even a correctional facility. And, folks, let's not be too judgmental. People end up in places they don't want to be, and that might be prison. It might be jail. And this is what we know from not only studies but observational fact. And this is not the world according to me. This is fact. Um, The problem with tolerance, when we talked about tolerance, is it can go away. 
So if we have someone that finds themselves in jail, say for a week, oops, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. They don't have tolerance, but they'll go back on the street, get their nickel bag of heroin or whatever it was, and it might be laced with fentanyl. It's the bad truth nowadays, and they'll die. They have no tolerance. They think they're taking the same dose, and it's okay, but it's not okay. When you're trained in addiction, you understand how to communicate these harms of communication that any time you get away from your drug after you've gone through the withdrawal or whatever, uh, call anybody. 911, call the police, call anybody to help you get to care so that you don't go out and start your old ways. You don't have tolerance, and down you go. It might be a close second, like you might end up in the ER, ICU, but it might be the unfortunate death that uh, follows an opioid overdose. 20,000 times a year, roughly. Uh, Oh, that's a huge number. It is an epidemic. So, all right, draw that one home. It's a comprehensive treatment plan. You've got to have that. The counseling, participation in social support programs like NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Get the family involved. Not a moral failing. It's across, um, it's across everybody's lines. It's uh, most affluent to the street folk. It's the professional, and I have seen it, uh, to the individual that works every day for the city, a teacher, it doesn't matter. Addiction doesn't care. So get the social support programs going. And your family actually has an NA program uh, that they can go to and talk to your uh, folks or your local folks about that as well. So this is given either by a pill or it's given as a buckle film. And it's given to expect three phases. These phases are the induction phase. That's where you get them started. And this is key. Uh, Folks, if you have a problem with opioids and you're going to be started on any of these, be brutally honest with your care practitioner. Because in the induction phase, we can initiate withdrawal if we aren't very, very aware. We use something called the COWS scale, chronic opioid withdrawal scale. It characterizes uh, withdrawal in a numerical form and degree of severity. And in this induction phase, if you are still up on your methadone or you're still up on whatever your drug is, and we give you buprenorphine, we can pretty much reverse you and you can go into withdrawal. And as I've said before, withdrawal, everything leaks. (laughs) I got that from Sandy Silverman. Lacrimation, your nose runs, your mouth is ugh, diarrhea and everything. So we don't want that. So we use what's called a cow's scale to get you to a certain number. And you're just starting to feel like you're going into a little uncomfortable craving, a little withdrawal, mini withdrawal. Then we can start it. A lot of times we don't even have to do that. We can just go right to stabilization. We just want to get rid of the cravings, so we put them in a stabilization phase. How long is that one? I don't know. That's the maintenance phase. 
in between those two, it takes a lot of clinical experience to understand that we've got you on the right dose. We've stabilized you. Your cravings are under control. Now let's maintain you there. And how long? I don't know. I'll wait for that answer from somebody someday. Some programs want you to start coming off this drug at the uh, one-year to two-year range. Uh, some uh, governmental programs, uh, one- to two-year range, and they aren't going to pay for it anymore. But I don't know if we can do that. Some people, as we know as addiction is, it's a lifelong problem. So we uh, might have to keep you on this for a long time. So be it. I know some people are on antihypertensives for life. I know some people that take their diabetes medicine for life. So be it. It's a medical disease. Okay. We're going to go to the next podcast after we identify the ideal candidates for opioid dependency treatment with this drug. And I'm going to underscore this is not a failure. This is a step to great outcomes and quality of life. I have been more impressed with this drug lately than I've been impressed with so many other drugs I deal with for pain. This drug turns people's lives around. We see them. They're disheveled. They're anxious, going through mini withdrawal. Within a week, I've seen folks even want to go back to work, find a job. They're dressing nicely. They're reengaging with their family. That's what this drug can do. This drug should not be criticized. This is a, a tool to treat a problem, like an antibiotic treats an infection. It's a tool, and it's a very effective life-saving tool. Okay, so you've been diagnosed as having opioid dependency. That's an objective finding. All right? You are willing to follow safety precautions for treatment. I mean, you're willing to follow the rules. You've got to follow the rules. You can't try to trick us. We're going to be drug screening you. We're going to know it. We're going to see it if you're not following the rules. Well, I'll just show up. I'll just show up late for my counseling. I don't have my copay and that sort of thing. No, you follow the rules. We're working with you. We're sticking our neck out. We're availing ourselves of a very critical treatment for you to save you and to save your family. Addiction is a family disease. All right, you've been cleared of any health conflicts, and that's why I guess they want a medical doctor to do it, although PAs and nurse practitioners should be able to use this drug. That's coming down the line. And you have reviewed other treatment options before agreeing to buprenorphine treatment. You maybe looked at methadone, maybe looked at other options. Now, to you pain patients out there that got a little hooked, there's usually not a two-way street. Now, I'm not going to say there isn't, but it's, uh, it's really hard to take somebody that was on opioids for a pain problem, get them going on this drug. This is not going to be used as a pain drug when we're using it for addiction. We're not going to say it's effective as a pain drug. You've got to understand that. It's very hard to go back. Okay, I'm going to go back to my Percocet now. No, you're not. <laughs> we are not going to treat you and then lose you again. Well, I'll just get it on the street. I hear that very little. I have to be honest. I hear that very little. So, all right. So, this is the deal. I'm going to wrap it up. This is an opioid partial agonist. It acts like an opioid but flattens out. It has a, a ceiling effect. These effects are weaker than heroin and methadone. This, this is not a tr pain treatment at all. 
And like opioids, it produces effects such as euphoria or respiratory depression, but not much. And I don't see much of it. Okay, so uh, in the next podcast, we're going to go through uh, some side effects. We're going to go through legitimate medical purpose and need and the, the, the basics of uh, medication-assisted treatment. I'm going to throw a couple other drugs in there, too. I'm going to throw some in for uh, alcohol. I'm going to throw some in there that are long-acting. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about addiction. It's going to be a little bit longer of a podcast. And then if uh, we don't uh, just bore you to death, we're going to talk to you about uh, a really interesting way we look at people, uh, co-occurring diseases, and what we also can see out there. We'll talk briefly about screen, screening brief, intervention, referral to treatment, incredibly stupid, an acronym. And we're going to then talk about uh, Suboxone as it's seen in the community. In other words, I call that I hate Suboxone. So that's a pretty good start for us, and we look forward to seeing you next podcast. We'll keep these going.